The Paranet Podcast, a Dresden Files book club. Welcome to The Paranet Podcast with your hosts, me, Patrick Lunn, and... Me, Rob Davis. Today, we are starting our uh, journey into death. Um, the fifth book in the Dresden Files series holy shit we are five books in Um, crazy absolutely crazy Uh, and we are on to some of the um, like most, uh, I guess, anticipated by myself and Rob, um, kind of stuff to come. Uh, we're talking Denarians. We're talking more Knights of the Cross. Um, I think this is the the book where the the Jade Vampire Court gets mentioned. That one and only time that has spawned a million freaking um, fan fan theories. Um, it's gonna be. It's going to be incre- incredible. It's going to be intense. Um, I'm all about it. Are you hyped, Rob? I'm hyped. I'm hyped, and I'll tell you for why. This book might be my favourite book in the series after all the other books we've done so far and all the others that come after it. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm trying to say is they're all my favourite book. I think um, Death Masks has to come up there for me. Yeah, like I think... The ones that made me like message you like the first time around, being like, "Holy shit, this that," were probably uh, book three, this, and I think it was book seven or book eight. Yeah, that like uh, seven through eleven all blur mm. heavily for me. Um, Same, really. Which is. Uh, it's just because, like, you get to that point in Dresden where you're like, oh my god, Dresden Files, and just, like, consume a book a week for a while. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, it, we're definitely at that point where it, like, it's reached a certain standard of, I don't know, like, Dresdenness. I guess. I don't know how to describe it. Where each one has that kind of same kind of structure, but it gets... Each one kind of just manages to just up the ante a bit. I I feel as well that like the first couple of books, um, Jim spends a lot of time building up his, I, I guess like armory of different characters and mm. um, like uh, political factions and stuff and and laying the groundwork for all of them in in a very enjoyable and skilled way mm. um, and. Death Masks is one of the the first times that we really see Jim going to the armory and and picking a couple of different toys off the shelf and throwing them around. And that's something that we get in in later books as well, where we see more and more of Jim going back to older characters, adding in a few new ones, um, mixing up like, oh, we never saw this character and this character interact. Let's put those together and see what happens, kind of thing. It it feels very, almost like alchemy, kind of throwing together different chemicals and seeing if there's a reaction. Yeah. Um, and that's that's 
a very fun aspect of Dresden Files, and we get a good bit of it here. Um, <laughs> cool. So before we crack on uh, with um, Death Mass, um, we uh, we have a little bit of power networking. Uh, so as you guys know by now, power networking is the part of the show where we just talk about things going on in the world of Jim Butcher. Um, and when things are a little bit quiet in the world of Jim Butcher, as they are at the moment, um, we talk about some of the biggest questions in the world of uh, Dresden Files and beyond. Um, and the question today we came up with literally seconds before coming on air Um <laughs> Which was if you had to take a classic Disney character and put them in the Dresden verse, uh, like have Harry turn around and be like, "Oh yeah, that was actually like a documentary from Walt Disney," uh, <laughs> kind of thing to another character. Um, who do we think would be a good fit? Um, I have I have a few. Rob, do you have any that you want to do? You want to kick off or? Um, I mean. There are so many, and I think one that I would kind of like to see, just because we've not explored that side of things that I can remember anyway, is and bear with me, Little Mermaid, and my my reasoning for that is because I just love Ursula as a villain. Ah, <laughs> oh, I mean, what's not to love? <laughs> So would you go down that like Atlantis is a thing and um... yeah like I'd probably take I know like I, the way I see Jim doing it would be having like a bit of that grim fairy tale kind of feel but then kind of modernizing it I suppose so yeah. Atlant- Atlantis is represented similar to how it's presented in say like the Aquaman film where it's all like high tech gadgetry and stuff. Yeah, I can see that. Um, I also like. I can't remember who wrote. Uh, oh, Darren Shan, Cirque de Freak. Oh, um, I don't know if you. Yeah, I'm like it's weird how we've never talked about this, but I loved that series growing up. Yeah, me too, man. Should we do another podcast and just do that? Yeah, gives me an itch. <laughs> <laughs> um. But I'm pretty sure that had a mermaid in a bathtub. Like, she could only stay in the bathtub for a long time, for a while. I mean, probably. (laughs) I might be be misremembering, it might have been something else. There's a part of my my brain that's going, that's telling me that it was actually in the Torchwood TV series. I don't know. Anyway, um, (laughs) (laughs) the idea of, like, uh, Harry having to, like, like uh, having Ariel come to the land and then suddenly turn into a mermaid and not being able to breathe, and Harry having to like transport a woman in a, in a bathtub around, um, and like having to get her like to water would be kind of fun. Yeah, I'd be up. I mean, it would be it would be like a fun story as well, even if it was just um, like one of the short stories that Jim bashes out. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I, I also want to see Harry interacting with a crab called Sebastian. <laughs> uh, what's wrong, Harry? 
You're feeling a little crabby. <laughs> we need it now. If, I mean, I mean, we both have degrees in creative writing. Surely we can just do it ourselves. Yeah, yeah, we'll just bash it out. Yeah, I mean, that's something and... to do after this, isn't it? Yeah, we'll just claim that Jim wrote it. A disclaimer for anyone listening. Don't pressure us for this story because we don't really have the time to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but if we find some, if if we find some of that elusive time, uh, <laughs> who knows? Anything's possible. Um, cool. Yeah. Uh, great pick. Um, so, uh, do you have any others that you want to throw in? Um, I mean, uh, along the similar lines, it would be something like Aladdin, just because of having a genie present would be pretty cool. And again, I like Jafar as a villain. I don't... Have we done genies in Dresden? If we have, I don't remember. No. That would be really cool. It would be interesting um, to see how it would play into mythology within the world of Dresden. Yeah, I mean, I, I would like to see more kind of uh, Arabian... Um, like Middle Eastern stuff appearing mm. Dresden Files. Um uh, anyway. Um yeah, cool. Okay. Um so yeah, I uh I was trying to have a think of like some interesting characters um that I'd like to see Dresden deal with. Um I my my first absolute go to uh like is pretty much as soon as we talked about this, was um, a Maleficent-style character. Yeah. Um, if not if not Maleficent herself. Um, just because, I mean, that, that like imagery is really cool, and I would love to... I'd still want to see Dresden dealing with a dragon. Um, would be freaking cool. Um, or, like, a pseudo-dragon, or, or whatever they wanted to call it. Yeah. Um, so, that's that's definitely there um and i i mean dresden always works well dealing against like fiendish women um <laughs> in the case of like uh mab or lara wraith or whoever you want uh always works really really well um other people that i think would be cool uh like uh, maui um Ooh. from moana moana yeah um I really like the idea of like Dresden going on like a honeymoon or like a a, a tropical vacation essentially, yeah. and then having to deal with like a trickster god. Um, something that I'd like. Sorry to chime in. It's I don't. I, I just know that yeah, I find it. I'll forget. But having something to tie in with the original Merlin would be like a sword in the stone type story, but have like. Arthur's sword oh. kind of link itself to um, the Knights of the Cross, or even just like a separate kind of like sect from that, where it's a similar kind of weapon, but not directly associated with the knights. I might, I might be misremembering, but isn't it confirmed at some point that like Amarachius is Excalibur? I honestly cannot remember. Probably, it wouldn't surprise me. I feel like I feel like that's that's said at some point, but we'll we'll find it uh, yeah, later. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get there eventually. Because I feel like all of the swords have like a history, like 
Uh, I'm trying to remember all the swords now. There's Amarachius, Fidelachius, and... Um, like... Shit. I mean, we'll find out in this book, so... Yeah, yeah, we will. Because <laughs> um, Fidelachius is... Uh, it's the Katana heroes. one, isn't it? Is it a Katana? Yeah. Or am I just making that up? I think so. And then uh, Amarachius is... Michael's, and I'm trying to remember what Sonya's is. Oh, I'll just look it up, um, because it's going to annoy me otherwise. Yeah, we'll, we'll find that out in a second. Sword, um, sword. Oh, man, I, I just wanted to talk about the Knights of the Cross now, but later. Soon. Uh, <laughs> Soon. We will, have pl- we will have plenty to talk about the Knights of the Cross. Es- I don't uh, know if I'm yeah. pronouncing it correctly. Es- Esparachius? Esparachius, yes. Yes. Um, but I'm pretty sure, like, Esperachius is tied to some, like, Russian folklore, and Fidelachius is tied to some, like, uh, Japanese or Chinese folklore. Ooh, um, yeah. So, it'd be cool to talk about all that. Anyway, um, so, yeah, um, I think, um, I think, uh, the, like, Little Mermaid stuff's really cool as an idea. Um, I would also, this would be more like a throwaway line, but mm-hmm. I would love Hades um, in the Dresden verse to have an opinion on the Hercules films. That would be pretty good. <laughs> Just to be like, it's a shame that James Wood portrayed me. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, he's been cancelled now. Um <laughs> So that, that that'd be pretty cool. Um, I would also love uh butters to um crack open like an arcade cabinet and find a Wreck It Ralph like universe inhabiting it. That'd be really cool. Oh, there's so many <laughs> options, Pat. Just pick all of them. Yeah, it's it's crazy, man. Like, I mean, even, Jim's already done like a little like uh tip of the hat to Frozen, um, so. Who knows? Anything's possible. Um. So yeah, I, I. It'd be really cool to hear from you guys what you what you'd like to see from like a, um, Dresden Disney crossover. I guess. Um, I think basically, yeah, you hit the nail on the head there, Rob. There are so many possibilities. Anything would be cool. Yeah. Oh, um. <laughs> I also like the idea of Dresden being hit with like a fairy spell or something. Maybe this is just because I'm off the back of watching One Division and stuff. But Dresden waking up in a um, a Disney-fied like version of Chicago. That'd be cool as well. Yeah, where like he can't swear and everything's like cartoony and stuff. Um, I don't know how they'd do that, but that'd be that'd be fun. Cool. Um, all right then. Shall we get on to death? Heck yes. Heck yes. Uh, so, um, if you've never listened to the show before, where have you been? And, and <laughs> why, why is this your first episode? But, uh, if you have never listened to the Parent Podcast before, um, this is our Dresden Files book club um mine and rob's uh continued quest 
through the annals of the Dresden verse chronologically, going through all the comic books, board games, role playing games, um, short stories, micro fictions, and anything else that we can get our grubby little mitts on. Um, oh, and the main novels themselves, of course, uh, in an attempt to uh, fully analyze, dive into uh, the Dresden Files series. Um, we, two weeks ago, finished Summer Night! Uh, and we're about to go into Death Mass. That's going to be fun. Um, <laughs> uh, every week we cover uh, last time on the Dresden Files um, and then we dive into um, uh, normally four chapters. Sometimes we mix it up, but normally four chapters uh, of whichever book that we're on um, and then spend some time doing a little bit of lit crit, doing a little bit of... Um, geeking out, nerding out, talking about our favourite bits, talking about references in the series, um, and generally just having a fun Dresden-y time um, where possible. We, we try and get you guys involved, and yeah, that's that's basically it. Um, so, uh, without further ado, last time on The Dresden Files, um, we, we read the entirety of Summer Night! Um, which was uh, absolutely incredible. Harry went up against the fairy courts, uh, investigated the death of Ronald Raoul, the titular summer knight, um, and uh, met up with his ex, Elaine. Um, there were shenanigans abound uh, as Harry joined up with Murphy and Billy the werewolf, um, basically uh, to unravel uh, a conspiracy that went right to the top uh, of the fairy courts themselves. Uh, turned out that Aurora, the summer lady, had gone cuckoo bananas uh, and was planning to bring chaos to all of the courts uh, by sacrificing a changeling on the summer table, thereby tipping the balance of everything. Uh, Harry teamed up with Billy, Murphy, and every other ally he could get his hands on uh, to fight a battle in the clouds at the stone table um, and prevent the shift in power, um, killing Aurora, the Summer Lady, installing a new Summer Lady, Lily, um, and ingratiating himself himself to the winter court. Um, it was a damn good time. It was a lot of fun. Uh, very different tone to this book. Um, and uh, yeah, we, uh, if you want to hear more about that, jump back and listen to those episodes. Um, and I think that takes us to this time. Rob, do you want to kick in with <laughs> Death Mass? Uh, yeah, um, we kick th and we kick things off with uh, unexpected style, I guess, with Harry appearing on a TV talk show. 
with the host who is known as Larry Fowler, which to me sounds like a name just taken from EastEnders. Um, <laughs> and I know, like the, I, I guess, like the one question you have going into this is: Wizards interfere with technology, whether they want it to or not. And you're wondering how is he doing it? How is he sitting there in front of all this like camera gear and stuff, and none of it's exploding? Well, we got you covered, Jack, because right away Jim explains to us that Harry is focusing on a spell that won't fry any of the electrical equipment, which I feel is very underutilized. Mm. Um, anyway, featuring on the talk show with Harry is none other than Mortimer Lindquist, who I am right in thinking he's appeared before, hasn't he, at this point? Yeah, uh, he appeared Gr- in uh, Grave Peril. Yeah, I thought so. Just, I mean, already we're only five books in, and I'm already like so confused. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we we noticed as well that there are two empty seats reserved for you know get other guests to join the show. In any case, yeah. Larry hits the stage, a round of applause, and everything, and he announces his guests. And the topic of whether magic is real or not. Um, in the commercial breaks, Harry and Mort kind of have a bit of a catch-up, specifically to do with Susan's whereabouts. And Mort tells Harry that her last known location that he's aware of was Peru, but th- that was a while ago now, and he's not been able to locate anything since. Um, in any case, the show resumes, and oh, it's worth mentioning that in the case for magic being real or not, Harry and Mortimer are both there in the case that magic is real, which I feel I shouldn't have to tell you, given that Harry advertises himself as a wizard in the phone book. Um, But yeah, as the show continues, uh, two new guests join the show to oppose the views of magic. One of them is Father Vincent, who has come all the way from the Vatican to, you know, disprove things. And he he pucked up in one seat that's next to Harry, and on the other seat closest to Harry is the reveal of Palo Ortega, who, if you can remember, made his debut appearance in Grave Peril um, as the Duke of the Red Court. Um, Yeah, both of those two are there to disprove magic and the supernatural, which is kind of ironic given that Ortega is a Red Court vampire. and understandably, when Ortega like walks out and just fucking sits next to Car- Harry with a shitty grin on his face, um, Harry is understandably on edge and accidentally c- causes a camera to short circuit. Um, while the crew are dealing with these technical difficulties, Ortega claims that he's there just to talk to Harry. He wouldn't dare try and, you know, kill him on live TV. Um <laughs> Because that's ridiculous. And like every other antagonist who has appeared in Dresden Files, um, he has an offer for him, which I don't know about you, but being Harry Dresden in the middle of a war between vampires and wizards, I'm pretty sick of hearing about deals because you know you know that they're being offered by some slimy backstanding dickhead who's, you know, probably the equivalent of uh Actually, I won't go there. I was about to compare them to our government, but I won't. Um, (laughs) (laughs) 
But the the offer that he proposes is a duel to the death. If Harry wins the duel, then Chicago becomes a neutral zone. If he should die, then the Red Court are willing to hold peace talks with the White Council. Harry accepts the duel, but only under the rules of the Accords. Now we roll into Chapter 2. As Harry is on his way out of the studio, Father Vincent tries to get his attention about a case. And as it turns out, he's been recommended by um, Father Forthill, our good friend mm-hmm. at the church of... I can't remember the name of the church. Uh, Her Majesty... Uh, no, not Her Majesty. God. Um, Her <laughs> Lady Saint of the Angels, something like that. Yeah, I know it's a pretty long-winded name but in any case that is it's not really important i guess but you know re- referred to by uh father Fort Hill. Har- and based on that harry decides you know I'll, I'll hear this guy out and he's like trotting along to the blue beetle hearing this guy jabber on and then they're attacked Saint by Mary the angels thank you um and they are attacked by a gunman who you know does what gunmen do i guess pull out a shooter start popping away um but if you can remember something similar to this happened at the start of the last book where harry's just chilling and then you know there's a car crash and loads of people guns start charging towards him um the difference between the previous book and now is that harry is more prepared as the man comes closer with the gun he harry's just you know he manages to open the boot of the uh, blue beetle the trunk if you're american and kind of does a little feel around and whips out my best friend a shotgun and this causes the man to just belt it like the man's just like you know you don't tangle with a shotgun it's not you're not gonna have a good time um Mm -mm. and as the speed's making the run for it (laughs) harry urges uh father vincent to get in the car and harry tries to escape and his reasoning here is that he kind of figures that this man's not working alone and you know, upon the exit, there's going to be more people with guns waiting for them. And lo and behold, Harry is right about that, because there are plenty of people there armed to their teeth. And lucky for Harry, he recognises one of them as Hendrix, Marcone's right-hand man, goon henchman. Chapter 3. After making an escape, um, Father Vincent directs Harry to a motel, which... Seems a bit shady, but they duck into a room, which sounds even shadier, and Father Vincent presents Dresden with a case file, and he states that he doesn't trust the police with it, and proceeds to then fill Harry in on what the case involves, which is quite a delicate secret subject to him, I guess, which surrounds the religious artefact of the Shroud of Turin. I don't know if I pronounced that correct correctly, but sailor V. Um, for those of you that don't know, it's like a cloth that supposedly was wrapped around the body of Christ, and it was stained with his blood. Um, the shroud was stolen from Italy and is suspected to be in Chicago and up for sale, because why the fuck wouldn't it be? Um, and this, it's suspected it's going to be in Chicago because the organised group of church robbers named the uh, Church Mice 
their leader was found dead with papers indicating that he was en route to Chicago, funnily enough. Um, the two other members of the church mice, Anna Valmon and Francesca Garcia, are believed to have the shroud. Uh, before Harry leaves, he takes a contact number for Vincent and you know, also gives him his card with his number on. Um, as Harry drives back to his apartment, he arrives just in time to witness two unknown people beating the shit out of each other. Like, pretty close to the door of his apartment as well. So he gets out and he, you know, produces, raises his shield, produces his blasting rod at the ready just to, you know, burn the shit out of anything that's kind of around. And one of the people, like, manages to make a run for it and gets away. And the other one, you know, he's uh, pointing his blasting rod out and is like, I, I don't know who you are, but you've come to the wrong place if you're looking for a fight, basically. And the light from his blasting rod illuminates a woman, dark hair, dark eyes, and she says, Well, I've heard of running into an old flame, but this is ridiculous. It's Susan! The bitch is back! Brittany's back, bitches! <laughs> <laughs> Chapter 4 uh, Lowering the blasting rod, Harry helps her up, and Susan reveals that she was just fighting a uh, red court vampire who had been waiting in the dark for Harry. Which is, you know, that's always nice. Um, as they enter the apartment, Harry kind of backs away, remembering her situation, and he states that he can't let her in. Um, after a bit of chinwag, you know, she enters the apartment anyway, and true to form, Harry gets a bit horny. As Susan turns around, he kisses her, and things start to escalate slightly, thanks to the narcotic in the red court saliva um but luckily for mm -hmm. our audience the awkward audience the horniness is cut short by the appearance of mr the cat saved yeah. By, yeah exactly saved by the cat um and susan states that you know i can't be intimate with anyone anymore especially you harry um the risk of her losing control is too high which <laughs> after that scene alone is completely understandable. Um, yep. Harry kind of questions, you know, what brings you back to town? And she's says that she's there to quit her job at the Arcane, and further warns Harry that the Red Court don't want the war to end. They're, they're loving the excuse for just killing wizards, really. Um, and that he needs to be careful of Ortega, for he is a powerful warlord, and Harry's like, yeah, I mean... Like, who, who doesn't love the excuse to just kill wizards? I know, right? What else can you do <laughs> like in a popcorn lockdown? chicken. You have one and you can't stop. Oh man, I fucking murder some wizards right now for some popcorn chicken. <laughs> um, but yeah, they, the conversation is interrupted by an associate of Susan, Martin. Fucking Martin. Uh, before departing, she tells Harry... Martin? Fucking Martin? <laughs> Jeff. Um, before departing, she tells he's, Harry... He's a bit of a Jeff. He really is. And I, I didn't realise how much of a Jeff he was until he appeared and his first line was like, are you done yet? Or whatever he says. But, um, yeah, like, before Susan, like, departs, she, she states or tells Harry that, you know, I'll be in touch soon. And as tradition, uh, tradition 
whenever something major happens, it feels like Murphy calls at the right time. And surprise, surprise, Murphy calls at the right time. Um, and she's asking Harry to head to the morgue immediately to check out a body. And that, my friends, is where we wrap up the chapters for this week. Dun dun dun! <laughs> oh, so, uh, how did you find it? Yeah, man. Like, this is, um, it's a great way to start a book. Uh, <laughs> um, going, going from the immediate res of, like, of last time where Harry was getting jumped by ghouls, um, to this one where he's getting jumped by a talk show host. Um, it's it's uh it's a nice change of pace. I really enjoyed um. I, it's really fun to have a scene where you've got four people who all know that magic is real on a show where they are basically being brought out to be made fun of. And two of them are flatly lying about the existence of magic, mm. while two are kind of defending it, but also know that they can't really defend it, because if they actually prove that it's real, people will freak the fuck out. <laughs> uh, it, it's a really weird like social dynamic, I guess, yeah. um, to play around with. And it's it's a fun way to like uh, bring Mortimer... Um, up because i'm not sure i don't i don't remember him being a big part in this but i i like mortimer representing the other magic users of chicago that don't get all tangled in dresden's shit Mm. like he's like um i don't know yeah like like a co-worker i guess to dresden or like someone else that's in the industry but not uh dealing with what dresden's dealing with um Someone you can talk shop with, I guess, um, would be the way to put it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I enjoyed that. Um, Susan is a, a weird character for me, and um, I just don't enjoy her that much. She feels more like a trope than a character a lot of the time. I get exactly um, what you mean, and... I was I was gonna say that with the um with the return of Susan Rodriguez I wasn't I remember at the time and even now I wasn't that fussy like yeah as, as far as female characters go in Dresden Files she's not I I don't find her as interesting as any of the others yeah and and I almost think that Jim tips his hand to that as well with what happens to her in the end. Yeah. Because um, I'm not sure, like, I I never felt like he knew how to use her, really, um, I mean, either. From what I remember, after this after this book, she doesn't appear again till the 12th, does she? Or is she... <laughs> I could be um, I, I think she's, like, briefly brought up a couple of times, but yeah, this, yeah. this is really her big appearance. Um, that, that being said, um, she's, ri- like... If you accept that she's a trope, she's written very well. Like immediately, of course, the first thing she she says is like, um, 
the like I've heard about running into an old flame, but this is ridiculous. <laughs> as he's got like the fire spell conjured up. Um I, she makes me think a bit of um Meg from Hercules. <laughs> um like that. that that kind of like yeah, like the the sassy femme fatale type. Um so yeah, I mean it, don't get me wrong, it's cool to have her appear. Also and and this can't be helped really, but we had Harry dealing with an ex in the last book and to have him dealing with another ex mm. like um I maybe would have spaced it out if I was Jim, but I un- I understand that like this the plots coincide well here. It's um, why I kind of wish that Elaine stuck around a bit longer, like even if she made a small appearance in this book as well, because the dynamic between having two of his exes there would have been quite interesting, especially. Yeah, there would have been. I I mean I I I I would have assumed that Susan would have known uh, about Elaine from Harry's past, but not. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. The. There could have been something there. I don't know. Uh, but I also do like that there is... There's more of a question mark over can Susan be trusted. Yeah. Um, even, like, she herself is unsure if she can be trusted, uh, which is a really weird dynamic. Uh, interesting, but weird. Um, I, that I quite like, actually. Um, so, yeah. Um, and we get like them kind of getting jiggy with it um and then i i feel like mr the cat would not really stop that but there you go i mean uh, <laughs> someone who has four cats i can testify to that they are cock blockers <laughs> they, do it, they do it very well okay <laughs> uh, as as a non-cat owner currently although hoping to get a cat a cat soon I now hope a little less. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I'll leave it at that. I mean, if anyone wants to talk more on that in terms of advice, I guess, then drop us a message. But preferably don't. <laughs> just just catnip. All the catnip. And while they're all stoned, then, then make your move. Um, so, yeah, um... I've lost my train of thought now. A little. Oh yeah, and then obviously we get we get Martin um, jumping in with. Uh, yeah, I, Martin is a character I love to hate, um, and I, I'm glad that um, I'm glad his he come he is a recurring character for a little while, and pretty much in every appearance is just a bit annoying. He does. I always get the feeling that he could he he almost feels like a love rival. I think that's what um, they were going for because the moment he appears, yeah, he's just kind of like who who the fuck's this kind of like attitude towards him. Yeah, it's like um, when Big Sue's meets up with Jeff uh, with Jez after like three <laughs> years, and then brings her hunk of monk with her. Yeah, it's exactly. Like that. <laughs> it's exactly that, in fact. <laughs> um, the actress that plays Big Sue's would actually be alright for Susan as well. 
Yeah, I mean, we should um, change the description to Lit Crit to, like, we compare everything to Peep Show. We do. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, anyway, um, and um, kind of jumping back a second as well, the whole Shroud of Cheering, Church Mouse, um, very, like, noir, going back to that kind of detective feel um with the the fantasy realism kind of stuff creeping in as well um thank you i like the church mouse <laughs> i like the church mouse uh mice as that kind of um they're a fun group in that they're they're one of those things that would just evolve naturally like if there's fantasy artifacts there's got to be fantasy thieves um so they're, they're really cool for that. So yeah, lo- loads of really cool stuff. Uh, how did you find the chapters, Rob? Sorry, I've been waffling for a good solid ten minutes there. That's right. I I enjoyed it for the most part. It's um, I mean, even with like the whole gunman attack thing, it wasn't it wasn't too action packed. I, f- I feel like you get a bit more of a dive into a few more mysteries, like Count Ortega being there, Hendrix's involvement in the shooting. Um, and then the main case itself of the Shroud of Turin. And then also, I mean, you've got a lot hitting you in these first four chapters. A hundred percent. I mean, I think the thing that threw me was I confused book five and six and was very confused by the talk show. <laughs> so I spent my... Where are all the zombies? Yeah, pr- pretty much. <laughs> But no, like I, I enjoyed it a lot, and I'm looking forward to the next bunch of chapters and just the rest of the book because I'm, I'm sure there's like some huge things in here that I've completely forgotten about, and I know that when they happen, I'm gonna lose my shit. Hundred percent. I I think. More and more going back to these books, I'm finding sections that I just have completely just forgotten about. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Um, have we talked about the duel to the death? Not okay. really. I was I was just about to get into that. Mainly not the duel itself, but the whole thing about every. <laughs> it feels like since book three, especially like every fucking antagonist that pops up. Even if they're not an antagonist and it's like a supposed ally like the White Council, they're all just fucking throwing deals at him. Like, oh, I'll tell you what, if you get this done and you do it well, we won't kill you. But if you do it and you do a semi-okay job, we'll murder your family. And it's very... <laughs> it, I don't know, like, it, especially with the deals he's been presented with by, like, the Fae, and even the Red Court in the previous, like, couple of books, you're just kind of like, no, like, this guy, is, he's obviously going to cheat. You I mean, you, Count Ortega, it just sounds evil. Yeah. I mean, like... I mean, anyone that's got Count in their name, really. Yeah, uh, like, <laughs> let's be honest. If you're at a job... Dooku, Dracula. If you're at a job... Ortega. And you're sat there... And they're like, oh, just, the, the manager will be with you in just a moment. And the manager comes in. He sits down in front of you, shakes your hand, and is like, nice to meet you, Patrick. I am Count Ortega. 
you, you're just like, I'm fucking out of here, because he just said he's Count Ortega. <laughs> I'm going to end up in a body bag somehow. <laughs> and and if, if for whatever reason you do get the job, you'll probably die from stress, and you're not going to get a decent salary or benefits from this guy. He's just going to take you for all you're worth. And then oh, you. Count Ortega's going to be the sort of guy who's like, when I was your age, I worked three jobs, uh, and I was never tired in work. Yeah, he's... You work one job and I pay you minimum wage, which is more than enough to live on. Yeah, he's one of those people where it's like, oh, you, Fucking you're like, oh I'm, I'm being paid like half minimum wage. Can I, can, can I expect a pay rise anytime soon? He's like, no pay rise because you're lazy. It has nothing to do with pay or the poor working conditions. It's just that you're lazy, even though you've done all the work he's wanted you to do. Being vampire is internship. You are learning on the job. That is the value. Isn't exposure enough? <laughs> um. Yeah. I. I do. I. I really enjoy Count Ortega because I. I. I see him a little bit. Count Dukui, but um, whoever, like, upper-class vampire has his shit in control. Like, he's not going to, like, bite someone's head off in the middle of a crowd or whatever. Um, but also always has that kind of thing as a threat. Mm. Like, um, I always get the feeling that just under the surface, he could turn and be ruthless. Um as as we we do see um in later appearances oh yes mm. <laughs> uh, but he also has that control and like he's not going to just rise to harry's bait and suddenly um show his hand like he's methodical and will tip things um the yeah the the whole duel thing um I, it, it is kind of like one of those I mean Harry's not going to take it um, but you know that it's it's being offered now because things are going to push on Harry until he, until he agrees to do it yeah and you just know that if he doesn't accept the point council will just make him accept or something retarded like that exactly um yeah. Um the the Goodman attack with Hendrix and stuff. Um again, like I, I guess this could feel like a very similar some very similar beat story beats to the last book, but I think it's presented in just a different enough way. Um it it does it it, fe- it does feel different mm. um to when like Harry was attacked by the Tigress. Um oh, definitely. and stuff at the start of the last book. But on paper, you're like, oh, uh, Harry is attacked by a gunman and um, his ex is in town. I think... And it's like, oh... I, <laughs> I think something I like about the gun, like the, the, the whole, like, shooting and stuff, is he felt... I mean, not just because he had a shotgun in the trunk of the Blue Beetle, but he just generally felt more prepared for it anyway. Like, the whole thing where, like, he doesn't chase after the gunman with the shotgun or anything like that. 
he he shoots back a few times and then orders the um Father Vincent to get in the in the car. And when he's like, What? And he's just instantly like, Well, there's gonna be more of them out there because why would they just send one to kill me? Yeah. I guess yeah, there's there's also kind of an opportunity for Jim shows a bit of growth of Harry here, like he's already dealt with this situation. Mm. Um and he's got some some nous is uh, the way we'd put it up north. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, so I think I think it does work uh, the shooting, um, and I think that there is. I mean, you were saying that there's not too much action here, but I think it is good that there is a little bit of action yeah. thrown in. Um, like, I I feel there's a, it's a, it's enough to make you like sit up, I guess, and go, ooh, but I like that the bulk of it is just kind of setting up these various different cause plot lines and such, because I feel try to explain this now without spoilers, but the introduction of um, slash reintroduction of uh, Count Ortega, uh, Susan Rodriguez and stuff, it, it feels like the stuff that happens with that whole like Red Court subplot in this book is what sets up a lot of what's to come in, like, book 12. Yeah, certainly. Um, cool, yeah. Uh, Child of Turin. Um, is this the first time that Jim's acknowledged that, like, Catholicism exists in his world? Oh, well, no, you've got, like, St. Mary the Angels and stuff, I guess. Yeah, I mean, you've got uh, whole Michael Carpenter stuff in book three, but I think this is the first time... A religious artifact is specifically mentioned outside of the nails and like swords. hammered into yeah. yeah and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I guess like it, I feel like previously it's been quite ambiguous whether like is it just faith or is it something more. Mm. Whereas um, I feel like the shroud, the way that it's talked about, it's like no, this is a hundred percent a thing. Yeah. I mean, I I think when I think it's said in at at this point in the book when Father Vincent mentions it is that it's meant to like cure any disease or ailment or some shit like that. Um, I mean, I think he even states that that's just like the myth around it, which you know, in Dresden language means it was stolen for that reason. But um, yeah, because <laughs> I mean, he still doesn't believe in magic. This priest, so to him, it is just this religious artifact that holds value because it's, you know, got the blood of Jesus Christ on it. But being Dresden Files, obviously it's going to be more than that. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess, yeah, they asked, he's still trying to, Jim's still trying to keep it a bit like, is it something, is it not? Um, but I, I just feel like it's more concrete here, like, Okay, if people are actually like risking their lives to steal these things, it's probably something more. Like it, it probably can do what what it says on the tin, yeah. sort of thing. Um. Yeah. Okay. Um. Talked about Susan. Uh. I I think there are several points within this book where we get a bit more of the kind of erotic side of the Dresden files. <laughs> um, 
which are are always interesting. Um, I I think Jim does get better at writing this sort of uh, angle, and yes. I think it also becomes a little less gratuitous. <clears throat> um, I I remember this one, these scenes being better than the ones that were in um, earlier books with yeah. Susan Harry or with other characters. Um, and I think even like this, this like passionate kind of make out scene that we get with them. Um, I think Jim handles better here. How did you feel? I, I don't know. Cause I found, mm, cause he definitely gets better at writing like these kind like the, the sexy scenes, I guess the horny scenes, but <laughs> I know, I mean, I'll mention it when we get to it, but I think this book specifically is one of I don't know it, it's mm, I don't know it's like it's I, a thirsty book. It really I, I'll say that. I mean, the next one is pretty <laughs> thirsty anyway because I think that's the one with the porn studio thing. So, no, 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 next one is Necromancers. It's the one after, I think. Okay. Um, um. Well, in any case, maybe maybe I've I've got it wrong. I mean, um, I feel. I don't know. I feel after this book, I think he gets better at writing them, and they're not just. I don't know because I, I I found, like the, the like this scene and what's to come, um, to be very. I don't know how to describe it. I guess, I know. I it just makes me feel uncomfortable but not not because of the subject and content uncomfortable because it's just a bit cringe i i know what you mean um i can't think of a better way to describe it i i think um so one thing i did notice from reading this one because i I actually thought this was this was written better Mm. but i i agree that there is a scene later in this book um, between char- certain characters that I remember as well being a bit cringe at. And I think it it might actually be that Jim goes with a lot more detail in these earlier books. Yeah. In later books, it's it's always kind of like we get a bit of <laughs> and then it's like cut away. Yeah. Um, whereas certainly there's a later scene in this book, and I think it's the one that you're thinking of as well. Mm. Um, that is very like um, explicit, I guess. Yeah. And there, there's a point where it just becomes, it, it wanders from like um, a, I don't know, like a TV drama into porn, and you're like, I'm not sure that that's needed. Yeah, that's kind of. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. Um, which I, I mean, uh, a great example of that, like the Game of Thrones TV series, um, started out very, very gratuitous and then reined it in somewhat towards the end. Yeah. Um, and I feel like Dresden goes through a similar thing where, like, early on, it's trying very hard for like sex, gore anything to get like readers in and then once the readership's established it kind of we talk we dial it down a little mm. um but i i did i i 
thought that this was better written. Uh, the the making out scene, I thought was better written. Yeah, I mean, I guess we'll compare sexy scenes to other sexy scenes as we go. <laughs> <laughs> I'll start making a. I'll make a colorful chart. I, I need a spreadsheet. <laughs> uh, well, if I get bored um, and I don't feel like doing university work, I'll I'll definitely do that. Yeah, spreadsheet <laughs> and a short story about Dresden crossing over with uh, Snow White. Um, <laughs> okay, the manatee effect to decide what we'll do. <laughs> Um, awesome right I think that, that pretty much covers everything in these first two chapters there wasn't too much to dive into here um, it's just yeah like a, uh, a couple of really cool big like uh, it's a great way to kick off the book I think it, it, hit, it hits all the, the points it needs to really mm. we've got a little bit of romance we've got a little bit of violence we've got a bit of tension uh, we've got um a new a new offer for Dresden, whether he takes it or not. Um, lots and lots of, of cool kind of bits. And we get to see Dresden in, in Fish Out of Water on a talk show, which is always fun as well. Yeah, so uh, is there anything else that you want to throw in, Rob? Not that I can think of. Not at the moment, anyway. Fine by me. Awesome. Uh, in which case... Uh, do you want to wrap it up? Uh, yeah, as always, thank you for the support. Um, we've been going on for almost a year, so it's pretty exciting that we're still doing this. Um, I think we just crossed over 4,100 downloads. Um, I'll double-check that at a later point and maybe confirm the number next week. Um, and as always, share, follow, and subscribe. Next week we'll be doing chapters 5, 6, 7, and 8 of death masks um and yeah uh crack open a can of coke because there's going to be a lot of that going around in this book because you've been listening to the paranet podcast with your hosts me rob davis and me patrick learn and we will see you next time bye